Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Let's have some fun. It's good to be back in the saddle with you this morning. Did you enjoy the summer? Can you believe school is about to begin? Uh, Summer vacation is behind us. We are now looking forward. Believe it or not, it is still 197 degrees, but we are supposed to start calling it fall. I don't understand it, but that's life in Austin, Texas. So uh, again, welcome to church. We're going to do something really special uh, over the next couple of weeks. And a few of you might remember, if, if you've been around, a few months ago, we launched a series that we just called The Manifesto. Do you guys remember this? And it was these six kind of declaration statements that's like, this is who we are. This is going to shape everything that we do. This is going to fuel who we are. This is going to establish the culture we're believing to create. And I know you probably all can shout them to me right now, those six declaration statements. But if you need a review, here they are. We've got your back, right? Here we go. Read them with me. Jesus is our message. Hope is our belief. Honor is our language. Serving is our privilege. Celebration is our soundtrack. And generosity is our standard. And we use these six declarations of who we desire to be to to shape everything around here. I mean, this is how the lens, how we make decisions. This is the lens on how we lean into what we lean into at what time. I mean, this is our foundation. We believe that God's given us these six statements to strengthen us and to clarify for us what his kingdom looks like amongst us. Are you with me? So this manifesto, we want you to know it and believe it and, and, and believe with it for us because we all need to be circling and excuse me, praying these six declarations so that it keeps us focused on who we are. And that's really what the manifesto is. The manifesto are six declaration statements of who we are. And what we're going to be launching this week over the next five weeks is kind of the part two. It's the addition to the manifesto that we're calling steps. If the manifesto is the defining statement of who we are, steps is how we get there. The manifesto is the defining statement of who we are. Steps is how we get there. They're the path that we're going to be walking on together. Steps take us in a direction where we want to go. And if you are curious about where that direction is, let me just simply put it for you in one word. It's transformation. We want transformation in you, through you, and around you. We want transformation in Jesus to become so alive and real in your life that it affects your family, that it then in turn affects our city, and then in turn affects our nation. The bigness of our vision to see the local church change our city and ultimately the world rest on the simplicity of this first Truth that we must see transformation in us before we can dream of seeing transformation through us. 
Transformation is our goal, and these steps lead us on a path to transformation. New to church, old to church. New to faith, old in faith. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing this idea of church and walking and growing in Jesus. We believe that these steps hold within them simple revelation that affects and can bring transformation to All of us, we never graduate, we never move out of needing to walk through these steps. They are something to be repeated continually, and we simply believe that when we commit ourselves to walking these steps, that we will find fuel to want to keep walking through the steps. The steps in themselves drive the steps themselves. And so these steps, just simply put, step one is encounter. And that's what we're going to be spending some time leaning into this morning. But I, I don't just want to leave you hanging like, what's step two? All right, so I'm going to give you all the steps. But just know we're just going to talk about step one this morning. But step one is encounter. Step two is belong. Step three is matter. Step four is grow. And step five is build. Step one is encounter. Step two is belong. Step three is matter. Step four is grow. And step five is build. You guys excited to jump in? Come on, let's, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing here at Antioch. And, and God, we're, we're asking that you would establish that path before us, that you would lead our steps, Lord, down the path of righteousness. God, that as we lean into these simple truths this morning, allow us to experience more of who you are and let that lead to more transformation in us, around us, and through us. And everybody said, amen. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I went on like a little vacation with my parents to a little mountain town in Washington State called Leavenworth. Now, Leavenworth is kind of one of those little tourist destination places that looks like a postcard. You guys know the, what I'm talking about? It's like every building kind of looks like it's a movie set. You kind of walk down the streets and you're pinching yourself like, is this real? Or do these building fronts really exist? Or is it just like a cardboard facade and I'm kind of in the Truman Show right now, right? It's just kind of this fake, beautiful place in the mountain range of the Cascade Mountains in Washington State. It's absolutely picturesque. The only thing to really do in Leavenworth is to walk around and talk about how beautiful it is and buy stuff. You guys know places like this? Like there's really nothing to do except walk through the cobblestone streets and go, wow, this is pretty. Let's go in this shop and buy overpriced candles, right? I mean, that's kind of what you do at Leavenworth. And, and so my dad and I, our, our patience is running a little thin after we have walked in and out of about 20 shops that seem to all sell the exact same things. I can't smell another scent. I, I'm good on lotion for the rest of my life. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do. And down the street, we see a sign that just simply says hot sauce. Okay, now I look at my dad and I'm like, dad, let's leave the girls here at this candle shop and let's make our way to the hot sauce shop because maybe there's some more exciting things happening in the land of hot sauce than there is in the land of many elf figurines and candles. 
So we make our way into this shop. Now, this was the first time that I had experienced an entire store that just sells hot sauce. Now, if you think about that, you're talking about committing to a little niche, okay? So it's a miracle to me that this store is able to exist, right? You ever go into a store that's so specific, and you're like, how in the world do you make enough money selling doilies to have a storefront on South Congress, right? It's this kind of experience where it's like, I walk into the store, I'm thankful that it's there, it's a different little experience than going through all these other gift shops, but I'm scratching my head going like, how does this place exist, right? And so we're walking around and checking out all these different specialty sauces and flavors and different things going on, and then in the corner we see a sign that says, warning, sign waiver to taste not responsible for injury. Okay, I'm born and raised in Texas, all right? Now, I had lived at that time in Washington State for a few years, and I had come to understand that although Washington State is beautiful, they don't know a thing about Mexican food, okay? And so I'm thinking, Warn, like these Washington state people need to toughen up. A warning sign for hot sauce? Sign a waiver to taste hot sauce? Not responsible for injury for hot sauce? I'm like, dad. Let's go show these people how you eat hot sauce. So we go over there. They're like, sign the waiver. I'm like, no problem. This is hot sauce, man. I'm from Texas, all right? Like, this is not going to be a deal. And so I go over after I've signed my life away on this form. I make my way over to this little display, which has like this, like a shot glass. And no exaggeration, like the equivalent of like maybe three to five drops of this sauce in the bottom of this glass and there's like a bowl of pretzel sticks. Now I am smirking, like are you serious? Like not only are they overboard protective, they're cheap. Like they're not even gonna put a lot of hot sauce in this little glass. And so I'm not thinking any sort of fear, concern, none of that. I grab my pretzel stick and I don't dab it in the bottom of this shot glass, I swirl it. I'm like, man, I'm gonna try to get as much of this hot sauce as I can on this pretzel stick. And I look at my dad and I'm not joking to you, there was barely any sauce on that pretzel stick, and I take a bite, and it was like, my body went, warning. <laughs> Imminent shutdown approaching. All of a sudden, I start hiccuping and coughing and profusely sweating. I feel like I'm going to throw up and other things. You know what I mean? Like, we're at church. But, like, I am dying. My face feels like it's melting off. I don't have lips anymore. Like, my teeth have dissolved in my mouth. I had never in my entire life even dreamt of tasting something this hot. I started having things like, who makes this? Like, this isn't even good. Like, this just hurts. Like, why in the world would you taste this I'm pacing around in the hot sauce shop like pouring sweat telling my dad I got I don't even know what to do right now like I'm starting I don't know and I have this thought like oh I've heard milk helps 
And so I run out of the hot sauce shop, and I'm like, ice cream. I, there's got to be ice cream here. I'm like looking around frantically. I see an ice cream shop. I run in there. I'm like, give me as much vanilla. I don't care. Here's a $20 bill. Just give me as much vanilla ice cream as you can. And I stick my face in the bowl of the ice cream. I thought that I had encountered heat before. But when I really encountered heat, when I really encountered it, it changed everything. I mean, I still, I can still feel the pain right now. I'm sweating right now. I'm just reliving it. Here's the other thing. It gives me so much compassion. You know, you watch YouTube, these videos of people that eat those really hot chips and stuff, and it looks like they're overreacting. They're not. I'm filled with empathy and compassion. I'm like, oh, I get you, sister. Oh, yes, it burns. Stick your face in ice cream. It helps. You know, I'm like trying to help. You see, because when you really encounter something, it changes everything, not for a moment, but forever. Real encounters... Real encounters are not momentary experiences. Real encounters are life-changing moments. When you really encounter something, you cannot go back to life before you had encountered it. Now when I see a hot sauce shop, I don't even want to go close to the door. If you've got some super hot sauce you want me to taste, I will watch you tasted and praise you for your bravery. But that moment of encountering real heat changed everything. Not just a moment, it changed my entire life. And this is precisely why our step one is encounter. Step one is encounter. A part from encountering Jesus for who he is, the rest of the steps will fall very short. We want to encounter Jesus here. We, we want this to be a place where Jesus becomes real to you, where relationship with him is powerful and transformative. We, we want you to know what it feels like and what it looks like and how to walk with Jesus, not just to know about him, but to feel like you're growing in knowing him. If you're new to church, if you've been around for a while, if you're young or if you're old, this idea can seem so obvious and elementary. Yes, of course. Of course we have to encounter Jesus, but please hear me. The temptation in all of us is to look past this foundational aspect of who we are simply because of the fact that this idea seems so simple, but the complexity that is to come in God speaking into every area of your life stands on this truth that we must live to know him. We must live to know him. Knowing of him will leave you frustrated and confused in the chaos of life. But living to know him 
will hold you in the fire, strengthen you in pain, and bring peace to you in storms. And if you have a Bible, I want you to make your way to Acts chapter 3. This passage will be one of our anchor scriptures this morning. And what's happening here in Acts chapter 3 is Peter and John, two of Jesus's disciples, had just prayed for a man who was begging at the temple gates and he was miraculously healed. This is that famous story of uh, that kid song that you've maybe heard, like, you know, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have you, I will give to you. You guys know this story? So this is what just happened in Acts 3. Peter and John were going to the temple. They come across this man who's begging. He asked them for money. They say, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we will freely give to you. And they prayed for him and he was miraculously healed. And so all of a sudden, this man that was known for being a beggar at this place at the temple jumps up, starts praising Jesus and doing the Dougie. And everyone is like, what is happening, right? And what happens when God encounters a life, when God moves in our lives, when we encounter him, it stirs more than just us. Encounters with Jesus do more than just affect the person that is encountering Jesus. It stirs everything and affects those who are around them. And this is what happened. This man encountered Jesus. He jumps up, starts worshiping and praising. Now everyone that was around him and it started hearing the commotion that he was causing because of his miracle began to gather around him, right? This, this man's miracle, although it was just powerful and overwhelming, people were curious about what was happening. And when Peter saw this crowd beginning to grow around them of people saying, what happened? How is this man walking? How is he dancing? And who is this Jesus that he is declaring and praising? Peter looks at this crowd and he says this in Acts 3. We're going to start in verse 12. It says he declares to the people, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as though our own power or godliness that we've made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And then he, he goes real light at him right here. Like he, he just kind of just throws him a real softball, right? He's trying to be relevant. He doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. He looks at him and says, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we're witnesses to this. We've encountered this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and now who is made strong, it is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all see. He goes on to say, now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders 
But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. And then this amazing sentence, he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sin may be wiped out and that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you. Wow. This is not amazing. This crowd is all around this man who just encountered Jesus. Peter clearly shares the gospel, the truth that they can turn from their wickedness and experience the grace and power and all of the authority that they're witnessing in front of them by this man who was lame and now could walk is now available to them. This is an incredible, incredible moment, but it also was an incredibly scary moment for the religious leaders that were also intermixed in the crowd because they felt very threatened by this message that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they responded how threatened people respond, and they arrested Peter and John. They threw them in jail. But how many of you know that when God is for you, no one can be against you? When the momentum of the kingdom begins to flow in front of you, there is no moment of man, no decision of a government, no leader that can stop the momentum of the kingdom of heaven advancing on the earth. And what the religious leaders experienced is this very truth. Because all of a sudden, this little group of 120 people that had remained after Jesus has died on the cross had suddenly and dramatically grown in part because of this very moment to over 5,000 people. Because you can't stop the momentum of a real encounter with Jesus. You can't contain it. You can't control it. You can't bottle it. You just have to ride it. And so the religious leaders are gathering together, scratching their heads. Peter and John are in prison, and they begin to have this conversation in Acts 4, starting in verse 16. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they had performed this notable sign, and we couldn't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And then they called them again, right? They commanded Peter and John to come, and they said, Do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John replied, They said, Wish is right in God's eyes. To listen to you or to listen to him? Oh, I love that. That's a whole nother sermon series. You or him, right? That's, that'll preach. That's a book. Somebody write that. <laughs> and as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard after further threats. Did you hear that? After further threats, they let them go. 
they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God, right? Nothing can stop the momentum of an encounter. The people were praising God for what had happened. And I, want, I wanted to read all of that scripture so that you can understand what was going on behind the scenes as we launch into Acts 4, verse 23, because it says this, that Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them, right? What did they say to them? Don't preach this message anymore. Stop declaring Jesus, right? So this is what the believers are hearing. This new church that had just been birthed is experiencing pushback, opposition for the very first time. And it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together and prayed to God. Now we're going to read the prayer that they prayed because it paints the picture of the emotions that they were feeling. And this is what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And jump with me down to verse 29. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You see this? Like they're saying, God, we're scared. We don't, we don't know if we can do it. There's pushback to the message that we're declaring. God, would you come and would you give us great boldness? And it says this in verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says this, that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now that's a lot of scripture and I hope you could track in that with me, but it's important because it builds the foundation of what we're talking about this morning, and that's this, that there are encounters that start everything. Encounters start everything. Peter and John found themselves in the middle of a miracle because they had encountered Jesus, the miracle worker. Encounters start everything. As a church, level one is all of us encountering Jesus. This is why we sing the songs that we sing. This is why we're committed to creating environments that are warm and accepting and inviting, not just here on a Sunday morning, but in our life groups and on our serve teams, because we want everything that we do to create a space for people to see Jesus for who he really is in our desire and prayer every time we gather together corporately individually life group discipleship serve team gatherings growth tracks Sunday morning every time we gather together we want people to have an opportunity to respond to the words that Peter articulated so clearly well in Acts 3 when he said repent then and turn to God so that your sin may be wiped out and a time of refreshing may come from the Lord this is why we exist as a church as a community to be a people that encounter Jesus. Jesus is our message. Are you with me? 
Jesus is our message. We exist so that people can encounter him. And, and as we lean into Acts 3 and Acts 4 through this lens of encountering Jesus, it frames some rhythms for us that I want us to grab hold of that takes this kind of elusive and sometimes intuitive idea of encountering Jesus and approaches for us a framework of some simple things that can make that desire for encounter something that we all experience. And that first is position. Now, I tried to do this. I tried to be all fancy and cute. So just humor me. I made them all start with the letter P, the P's of encounter. Doesn't really make sense, but it worked. So I just went with it. And I'm like, okay, three P's for encounter. But these three P's hopefully create a framework and a rhythm that lead us down a path, some real actionable things that we can all do that will position us to live a lifestyle of genuine encounters with Jesus so that we can experience all that he has for us on the earth. So the first one is position. Position matters. Not your position in an organization, your position as it relates to location. Position matters. All over this passage, we see there's a correlation with position and encounter. Peter and John encountered who Jesus was because they were positioned with him, right? They knew who he was because they traveled with him. They lived with him. Their position of closeness to him positioned them to receive things that they would have not received apart from their position with them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Position matters. It mattered that the man was positioned at the gate of the temple. It mattered that Peter and John were there so they could pray for him. It mattered that the crowds were around them that began to gather to hear the gospel. It mattered that the believers were praying where they were praying. Position matters. Position matters. And, and taking note that we want to sell, do we want to create atmospheres? To, taking note that position matters, we want to create atmospheres of encounter so you can position yourself for an encounter. As a church, we want to create atmospheres of encounter so that we can all position ourselves for encounter. If you are in a place where you are hungry for more of God, hungry to grow in your faith, hungry to bring some consistency to your inner world, tired of some of the patterns in you that are killing you and sucking the life out of you, position yourself for an encounter. Go to an encounter night. Go to a life group. Go to a growth track. Position yourself in an atmosphere of encounter. Now listen to me. Those who show up Grow up. Can I say that again? Those who show up, grow up. Position matters. Position yourself for an encounter. If you're hungry, if you're not hungry, if you just need a fresh touch, position yourself for an encounter. Show up so God can grow you up. Position matters. Our second P of encounter is Pursuit. First P is position. Second P is pursuit. In Acts 4, when the pressure of the pushback hit the believers, all of a sudden fear of what might happen began to threaten the hope in what was happening. 
They, they experienced the pushback. Fear became so real to them. They were facing a government that wanted to silence them, a culture that didn't want to listen to them. And so in their fear and in their insecurity of not knowing what the future held for them, they prayed. They pursued heaven. They leaned in. They didn't lean back. They were not passive about what they needed. They felt that they needed to experience something that Jesus had for them. And as they leaned in, as they showed up, God growed them up by showing up. Pursuit. They were not passive in what they were feeling, but demonstrated a rhythm of pursuit. Now hear me. Pursuit is a rhythm. It's not random. Pursuit is a rhythm. It's not random. For most of my life, I would have declared truthfully that my pursuit of Jesus was more random than a rhythm. I would pursue him when I felt like I needed him. On the back end of a sin that I committed, I would pursue him because I needed grace. I didn't, I didn't have a rhythm of pursuit. I had a pursuit that was random. But what the, what the, the church demonstrates for us here in Acts 4 is that they, they automatically, in their moment of need, they leaned in on the rhythm that they had created for themselves, that they were those who pursued heaven in their need. They didn't judge heaven on why they needed a need. And that happens when you have a rhythm of pursuit and your pursuit is not random. And our desire is that all of us would have a rhythm of pursuit. We, we don't want you to feel like, again, this is some sort of elusive, intuitive thing. Because remember, position matters. Those who show up, grow up. And so what we want to do is help you get daily time with Jesus. Listen, your time with Jesus daily will affect how you experience your day. Your time of Jesus, with Jesus daily will affect how you experience your day. Acts 4.31 again. After they prayed, what happened? The place that they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When we pursue Jesus, we will find what we need. And, and, and the rhythms take discipline. Rhythms take time. But, but if we do the hard work of creating consistency and clarity, the best thing that we can do in our faith journey is begin to daily read, worship, and pray. Daily read, worship, and pray. Pursue the encounter. Those who show up, grow up. Daily read, worship, and and pray. Like I said, I, when I was growing up, my inner world, I would describe it as a roller coaster at best. I was all over the place, man. I had unhealthy patterns and rhythms. And uh, I mean, just I was so needy and it, it was unbelievable. I'd wake up in the morning, didn't know how my day was going to go. I was just at absolute, just a chaotic internal mess. I went on my first impact trip to a little city called Juarez, Mexico. 
And on this trip, we had all made a commitment, everybody that I was with, that on this trip, we were gonna all spend one hour a day reading, worshiping, and praying. And I thought when I heard that, there's no way I could do that, like on both levels. First of all, what in the world am I gonna do for an hour? Second of all, there's no chance that I do this every day of this impact trip. But because position mattered, and I positioned myself in a community of people that were all going after the same thing, they helped me show up so that God could grow me up. And so I developed a rhythm of pursuit that was a rhythm that wasn't random. And in that rhythm, what began to happen is I woke up a couple of weeks later and realized that that roller coaster that was going on inside of me had parked. And I was experiencing peace and hope and joy and life in unprecedented ways. And it wasn't some momentary moment. It wasn't some big dramatic encounter. It was the encounter of my pursuit. My daily time with Jesus was changing how I was experiencing my day. And so what we want to do is make it so easy for all of us to get in a rhythm of daily reading, worshiping, and praying. And so this week, starting on Monday at 6 a.m., on our Instagram stories at Antioch ATX, we are going to be launching devotionals where we together as a community are gonna walk through some simple things to help us all grow in a rhythm of pursuit because those who show up grow up. And we wanna put tools in your hand that are gonna help you begin to pursue Jesus in a rhythm and it not be so random. And so we wanna encourage you, jump in with us, share it, invite your friends, talk about it as a community, dive into it as a life group, because when we grow in our pursuit, we will grow in our understanding of who Jesus has made us to be. And our last P of encounter is simply passion. I love what passion is defined by. It's a strong and barely containable emotion. A strong and barely containable emotion. And and this is what we want to be. We want to be passionate people for Jesus. We want our encounter of the person of Jesus to spark something in us that is barely able to be contained, barely able to be controlled. We want to be a people that are excited about who Jesus is. We want to be excited about what Jesus is doing. We want to be excited about what Jesus is doing around it. And we want that excitement and expectation to just be so bubbling under the surface that we can like barely contain it when we're with people. They're like, why are you shaking? You're like, it's the third P of encounter, dude. You don't know about it. It's called passion. It's an emotion that we can barely, we want to be filled with expectation that the best is in front of us and not behind us. We we, we want to be filled so alive with what Jesus has for us that begins to affect every aspect of who we are. And I love this because we get a little definition. We get a little picture of what a people that encountered Jesus, that position themselves, that pursue him and walk in passion looks like because Acts 4.32 describes it perfectly what a community of encountering Jesus looks like. It says all the believers were in one heart and in one mind 
mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They shared everything that they had, and with great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. That's it. Let it be said of us. That's it. This is what a community of people that have encountered Jesus looks like. This is what a community of people that have positioned themselves in places where they can grow and learn and be helped and heard looks like. This is what a community of people that pursue Jesus daily, the daily they read, they worship and they pray and they have a pursuit rhythm that's that's consistent. It's not random. This is what it looks like like when a community is passionate about what has happened in them so that passion can begin to affect everything around them. And this is what will happen to us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is what will happen to us if we all commit to taking the first step. Amen? This is what will be said of us if we all commit to taking the first step to encounter Jesus in a powerful, profound, and life-changing way. Jesus is our message, and encountering him is our everything. Amen? Stand to your feet.